Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. Zig Ziglar once said, it is not where you start, but where you finish that counts. And this is something that my guest today knows quite a bit about. He's a criminal defense attorney licensed to practice in Georgia and Florida. He graduated summa cum laude from American Intercontinental University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 2005, and received his Juris Doctor degree from John Marshall Law School in Atlanta, Georgia in 2012. He's also on the board of advisors for the Georgia Justice Project. Prior to being sworn into the Georgia and Florida bar, he was an impoverished minority who was arrested 13 times and spent over seven months incarcerated as a juvenile. He dropped out of high school and joined a criminal street gang in an attempt to overcome a poverty-stricken life. He began his path to rehabilitation when he received his GED in March of 1998 and took his first academic step toward becoming a dual-licensed practitioner. He understands the empowering effects of obtaining an education in order to facilitate upward social mobility. He chronicles his life journey in an inspirational biography the American Dream, History in the Making. He's been featured on HLN, CNN, CBS, NPR. He's been named 40 under 40 in the Georgia Trend Magazine and the Atlanta Business Chronicle. And in a minute, we're going to find out who the special guest is. We'll be right back. It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. So my special guest today is Mr. David Winditcher. David, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. Thanks, Fred. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, every time I hear that uh, that intro, my resume, it's a little bit surreal still to this day, no matter how many times I hear it, because it's hard to believe that the life I lead today started where you know, we're about to discuss. And so um, I'm excited to share with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Just one quick note on the Zig uh, <laughs> quote. I um, I know that quote well, and I've, I've slightly modified it myself. I always say, it doesn't matter where you start. It's about what you do along the way and how you finish. I love that. Um, so I love that quote. Yeah. I love that. And, and you, 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 you're right. You're, you're spot on there, David. Oftentimes we hear, and I talk to several people uh, on this podcast and we read about the bias and hear about all the impressive things that they do. But behind all that story um, is, is always a powerful life lesson. And yours couldn't be more powerful, really. I was reading your story and, and, and reading about you, and I was just taking aback and um, very impressed by what God has done in your life. We can go there because you're a faith person. But how did it all start for you, David? Just give us a little background about it. Just, just take us along with you. Yeah. So the way that I, this journey started for me is my parents had an American dream. So they wanted to migrate from Buenos Aires, Argentina to the United States. Their first attempt went to Los Angeles County where my father was a blue collar laborer. My wife, my mom was uh, his wife, (laughs) my mom, she was a homemaker and we were all, all four of us were born. I'm the oldest of four. I have a brother, Christian and a sister, Giselle and Karina. So during these years that we're over there in California in Los Angeles County, my dad's painting industrial machinery, working check to check. And, you know, anybody that's ever experienced that, that's a struggle. And so at one point, the company that he was working with was said that they weren't happy with the product. So they didn't pay him. My dad had to go file a a complaint, a civil complaint. 
And when he goes to court, then the judge gave him an interpreter, but not an attorney because it's a civil matter, so they don't appoint an attorney. And my dad actually won at the trial level. They ordered that he was due damages. And so he was feeling good about that. A couple months go by, no money comes in the mail, no check. And so the only thing that we receive is a notice to appear in court again because the company that lost at the trial level is now appealing the judge's decision. We get to court and no money for an attorney. The court doesn't appoint one. They don't put a translator for my dad. So my dad lost. And he lost because he was foreign, not because he was wrong, but because he could not communicate. And that was my first experience with the American jurisprudence system. And it planted seeds of bitterness in my heart because I knew my dad as this high character, good guy who would give you the shirt off his back and was like the strongest man in the world. And for him to walk out of there with his tail between his legs, it did something to me. And at that point, I started thinking about how does one become a lawyer? And that's what ended up happening. But we, um, we ended up having to migrate back to Argentina and we experienced real poverty, not American poverty. Uh, we were living in a dirt road in a house that was made out of cinder blocks that was not finished with a plastic you know, sheet for a roof and curtains for doors. And so we kind of realized the importance of family. We spent a lot of time together and uh, we had a good loving home. My dad worked his butt off to save up enough money to bring us back to America. And in 1989, he saved up enough money to get us back. And this time we went east to Miami, landed there and late 1989 and of course um, the American system struck again. I was arrested for the first time at the age of 11 in 1990, in January of 1990 as an 11 year old being arrested. Um, it was retail theft. I made a terrible decision because of poverty, but the system didn't help me cope with my poverty. The system helped me resent my situation more. And so this young, extroverted individual I was became a shell of himself, became introverted and had no friends because the parents of the other 11 year olds didn't want them hanging out with me. And as a parent myself, I can understand why you wouldn't want your 11 year old hanging out with another 11 year old who's on probation. Um, and this was the height of the get tough on crime movement, you know, where they were discussing the federal crime bill, which set fire to mass incarceration back then. And, uh, I got adjudicated delinquent. They put me on probation. I had to do theft deterrent programs. I had to th check in with the court. Um, and I didn't really realize the effects that would have on me until years later. But um, when I tried to work and I tried to have a job, I couldn't have a job because I had a theft charge on my record. And so all the jobs that are up for grabs for 13, 14, 15 year old kids that want to work part time jobs. I couldn't get them because I had a conviction on my record. And so that caused me to do other things to make money. And um, I got really creative. Um, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in was a lower socioeconomic environment where everybody was struggling with poverty. The schools, you could tell, were terrible compulsory education system or institutions. And so I wasn't really motivated to go to school. Um, in this neighborhood, I saw my first murder at the age of 13 and that was difficult. So I aligned myself with a local street gang to protect myself. I dropped out at the age of 16 so that my parents wouldn't have any sanctions against them. And 
before it was all said and done, by the age of 19, I had accumulated 13 arrests and eight months incarcerated. So I, I spent a lot of time in and out of the criminal justice system, which with my experience with my dad in California and then seeing the criminal justice system firsthand, it made me want to become an attorney even more. I got to see what the public defenders do. Um, and I also got to learn white privilege. You know, the fact that the outcomes I was getting compared to the darker skinned individuals outcomes, it was shocking. You know, why is this person going to jail? in prison and I'm going on probation and I didn't know how to answer those questions until much later on in life. But I realized that the way I look, um, played a huge role in my ascension throughout my life. So, you know, that was the, my life at the age of 19, I had been arrested 13 times. I've been incarcerated for eight months. I was associating with all of the wrong people. Um, but I also witnessed some really ugly things from law enforcement, malicious prosecutions, um, wrongful accusations, corrupt law enforcement. And I saw all this stuff long before, uh, we had smartphones so that we can capture these mm -hmm. indiscretions. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you fast forward to now, you can probably understand why I'm extremely motivated mm -hmm. to work in restorative justice, mm -hmm. just simply because of my personal experiences. And then you add in there now I have a legal education. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a perfect storm to be a contributing member of the criminal justice reform movement. I have a lot to offer because of what I've seen and what I know. And so that's why we created this program that's now installed in the Cab County jurisdiction where we provide educational resources for individuals going through the criminal justice system age 17 to 25 when they're more impressionable than when they still have a chance to develop their cognitive skills, their emotional intelligence, and have an opportunity to socially mobilize. So that's a, that's a nutshell of everything, but uh, you know, there's so many in-betweens, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And David, thanks for sharing that, very, that powerful story. But as you you know, experiencing those, those challenges um, in life at a very young age as a, as a teenager. Um, how did that impact your desire to want to be an attorney, right? I mean, you, you saw it, you desired to be an attorney at a very young age. Um, why didn't the challenges that you went through deter you? Did that, did, did, did any point in time, at any point in time, did you, did you think that your, your desire or that longing to be an attorney was over given the challenges that, that you went through? Yeah, I think I saw too much poverty and how it affected people. And I wanted to represent poor people. That was one thing. Um, I never ended up becoming a public defender for other reasons. I think he, the Lord had different plans for me. But um, I think what I noticed was that if I'm paying a police officer to not arrest me so that I can continue to sell drugs in this neighborhood, and he's basically like, he's taking my money and it, I'm, I'm paying him so he doesn't, I'm paying for protection from a police officer. The older you get, you start realizing how that's incorrect. And you don't really understand at that age that the state is the prosecutor and that the defense is trying to defend someone against charges. But when you're in that moment, you're thinking there has to be some way to combat this corruption. And that's all I kept thinking about. I was like, how many cops are out there taking money from people, wrongfully accusing them and, you know, causing them to bribe them? You know, these people are bribing police officers to protect them. 
So extortion, you know, the fact that not, not bribery, extortion, right? It's extortion. They come to you and say, Hey, you want to keep selling drugs in this corner? That's cool. Just give me $250 every Friday. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's super illegal. Right. And how do you combat that? And so I, these are my experiences as a young man. Hmm. And these things started planting the seeds. And then with all of the arrests that I had at some point, I felt pretty confident in my abilities to represent myself. Wow. I remember around arrest seven or eight, I started saying, you know what? I got it. Don't worry about it. I just, I'll take this. Where's my evidence? Where's my discovery? Um, and I just started realizing that I had the ability to negotiate all of the things that happened in the courtroom and not be frazzled. And I was confident that I could assert my points in an eloquent way that could be persuasive. And so when I started doing that, I'm like, wow, well, I think I am capable of doing this. Now, now I need some formal training. And those are the experiences that kind of motivated me to do it. Wow. So corruption, um, uh, the incompetence of the criminal justice system, and then just wanting to help people that didn't have the abilities to help themselves. Wow. One of the things you mentioned, um, you know, you attributed that to the Lord, you, you're a faith person. And, and I know that, but Growing up, you, you you weren't you weren't a faith person. You 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 were the exact opposite of that, right? You didn't think that a just God would allow you know all of the injustices that you experienced as a teenager to happen. Uh, how did that turn around uh, for you? Yeah, that's right, uh, Fred. I, I remember correctly the way I wrote it in my book is that I wasn't an atheist, but I was agnostic, and that the concept of faith was a farce to me because so if you're the Lord and you bless people, why in the world would you install someone in this situation? Either you have a really bad sense of humor or you made a mistake in the engineering procedures, right? And so I used to think, you know, he's not real. If he is, he's just not for me. And um, after all of those experiences where I kept falling and I kept depending on myself, at some point, and that point was October 16th, 2001. I woke up in a cold sweat and I remember saying, all right, if you are real, this is it. This is when you need to show up. You need to show up now because I can't do this alone anymore. I can't, I'm just gonna, I don't know what's gonna happen in my life. And I remember going to a local church that I knew never had much traffic. And I went there to pray for the first time in my life. And when I sat down in, in the pew, I, it was foreign to me. I didn't know what to do. I picked up a hymn book and I started trying to read it. Um, so none of that stuff came natural. The only thing I knew at that point was to apologize. And so I dropped down to my knees and I just, I begged for forgiveness. And I said, God, please just, just forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm really, really sorry for all of the bad things that I've done, but I can't live like this anymore. And I need you to help me. I need you to give me some kind of purpose. I need you to, to allow me to live a life worth living. And if you give me a chance, I promise that I'll do whatever I can to come back and help others like me. And Did you do that? <laughs> I mean, from that moment on, Fred, I've never prayed for anything other than purpose. I, protection, purpose, health direction, guidance, no materialistic stuff, clothes, cars, money. I never even cared about any of that stuff. And so I learned the Lord's Prayer. I would recite that anytime I felt weak. 
And I was always asking him to use me and to guide me. And I've done that to this point. This is how I got here. Wow. Um, through all of the things that I've been through, through, you know, stab wounds, bullet holes, gang fights, arrests, um, financial despair, um, passing two bar exams, getting wow. into law school wow. without the chance of um, having an opportunity to even interview with two schools. I had one, one school that gave me a chance. Wow. Um, you know, becoming a, 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 the CEO of a restorative justice organization to give back to my community, to be a, a fugitive on a television show, to, you know, publish a book. This is all him. There's no way that a life that starts where I started could get here unless God had his hands wow. on me. David, so, a question. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I forgot where I was just rambling at that point. The question you asked um, along the journey, you know, that if, if, if he was out there, I mean, you know, why is he allowing all of this? David, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there now who are asking the same questions, right? In light of everything that's happening in the world today or based on, you know, the experiences that they've had. Um, how do you, how do you, and, and then they're probably still thinking, no, this is, this is not real. You know, if, if, if there's a God out there, why is he allowing? What would you say uh, to them based on your own personal experience? I, I personally believe that the, the best way to, to, to introduce God or that's, you know, that, that, relationship right with with god to anyone is, is to having have is to have them experience it for themselves um so for someone who is listening to you and who may be thinking you know the same thing right now why is he allowing all these deaths and all these tragedies and all this injustices um based on your experience um what do you what do you say to them how do you answer their question hypothetically they're asking this question now well um without trying to get too biblical and too yeah. deep, right? So you have, um, there's two trees, okay? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you're not supposed to eat from one. And if you do, it can cause consequences, right? So there's temptations all around us. And these temptations lead to consequences. And these consequences have real results that impact people and lives and communities. And it's very difficult when people are falling victim to temptation that has a domino effect that has an insular impact outside of them. And so all of this randomness you see, all of these difficult things that we are enduring as a humanity, as, as humans, I would say that no matter what you see is that you cannot lose your faith because the opposition is real. You can't believe in one and not the other, right? And so if one is out there and it is combating goodness, you have to do your best to be a part of the solution. And if you lose your faith, um, that's when the opposition wins. So all of these difficult things that we endure, you have to believe that there's a reason for them. You know, for me personally, and that's all I can speak from mm -hmm. experience, Fred, is I used to wonder, well, God, He's crazy. Why would he put me through all of this stuff? Why would he give me all of these challenges? And the reality is, is that I needed to go through those things so that what 
whatever preordained destiny he had for me, mm. I could use those experiences. Or I, I couldn't work in restorative justice. I couldn't provide educational resources for people in the criminal justice system. I couldn't understand poverty if I hadn't gone through these mm. things myself. And so everything has a reason. Yeah, it's hard to make sense of COVID. It's hard to make sense of the economic situation. It's hard to make sense of tragedies. But there are reasons for everything. And... Uh-huh. I love that, David. It's, um, you know, I've, always, I've often believed, and I've shared this more than once on this podcast with, with guests, um, and, and it's becoming more real, and I'm becoming more convinced by that by the day that at every tragedy, the, every hardship that we experience in life is a big portion of that big picture, right? So what we experience today, the disappointments and the hurts that we experience today are all part of, of that big picture in the end. But Sometimes when you're going through those moments, I mean, so like someone said, when you're going through the hell of life, it's, it's hard to be able to make sense. Uh, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to be able to see beyond, you know, the immediate challenges that you're going through. How does one keep going or keep going through or keep, keep keeping hope alive, knowing that look, this is all things work together for good, right? Including the mess that I'm sure. in right now. How were you able to, at the time, if, if it did anyway, um, assure you that this was all going to be part of that big story for you uh, down the road? Well, I think that the answer to that, Fred, is, well, what's the alternative? Mm. So if the alternative is to quit and give up, that's not going to feel very good. Mm. Or give up any kind of hope that if you keep working, something that is going to happen then what what's the alternative what do you do you just lay there and wait till your day comes that's in my reality what i went through the alternative was the streets selling drugs ending up dead or in prison that was my alternative so i had to choose to do the right thing work hard not fall victim to temptation like i was saying and put one positive foot in front of the other one and continue to take the repetitions and those repetitions led to a result. But that's the thing is that if you look at it as, what's the alternative? My alternative is keep enduring this challenge on this climb and this ascension or give in. And if I give in, I already know what's waiting for me back that way. Mm. And that's what I have as an answer for that is, what is the alternative? Mm. Because if, there, if the alternative is to give up, is that even an option? I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen to me, but I had hope and I clung onto it tight. There were days where, I mean, there was one time in law school where I had $7 in my bank account and I thought, you know, this might be the end right here because I got about two more months before the next financial aid disbursement comes out Mm. and I'm leaving the gym to get a workout in. I got seven bucks. Someone hits my car as I'm pulling out. They don't have insurance. They say, hey, let me just give you a thousand bucks. And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, what are the chances Mm. of that happening? And it put me in tears because I had seven dollars, Fred. You know, you can't do much of anything with seven dollars. And so that accident had to happen. That mm -hmm. accident had to happen, right? Right. And I'm here I am leaving the library or you know, you know going home after studying all day. So I never quit. I continued to work in the direction of my purpose. And the guiding Holy Spirit for me is 
that that energy you feel when I say my prayers are about use me. That's what I ask for. Use me and guide me. So you tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to put my best foot forward. Wow. And that's what I kept doing. And everything led me to law school. Everything led me to become an attorney. And everything led me to work in restorative justice. But I did endure some very difficult challenges. I just never quit. I never gave up. Yeah. One of the questions, David, that I like to ask everyone with such a powerful story as yours is, is what defines them, right? I mean, you have people who are defined by, you know, the past, you know, the failures, the challenges and all of that. And um, what defines you, David? What's it that, that keeps you going, you know, day after day in spite of, you know, all the challenges that, that you've endured? That's a great question, Fred. And so I think what defines us all is the way we respond to success and the way we respond to failure. Both of those things say a lot more about us than the success or the failure itself. Now, I've been fortunate to have some success from publishing a book and practicing law and et cetera, right? So I've taken care of myself financially, but I have not accomplished the ultimate goal that he has me working on. And with financial success comes what? Opportunity to do maybe things that you wouldn't regularly do. Travel, buy things, etc. Where am I at right now? I'm in my office and I'm working hard on all of these things for other people. I'm not trying to leave the office at 4.59 to go buy myself a nice meal or go shopping in the mall. I'm here in my t-shirt that I've owned for eight months in my office, working on a strategy to improve other people's lives. Not to mention the fact that you're spending time here on this podcast uh, that you graciously allowed to do, inspiring others with your story. So that, I, was, I was about to mention that. And so that's my thing. You know, I think that a lot of people reach a certain level of success and they forget what the goal was. And it's easy to do that. That's temptation again. And I'm not tempted by materialistic stuff, by any components of this world. Um, the hardest part for me, Fred, is not being able to be with my wife and kids sometimes because I work really hard to produce this result. I know that if we don't do it, no one's going to care as much as I do. And we've gotten really good results, 5% recidivism. We've graduated 100 kids. We've got another cohort coming up here soon for graduation. And eventually a program like this can swap out, substitute how traditional prosecution methods were used, right? They, they think that punitive measures are an appropriate deterrent for criminality. But if you don't understand that someone is just broken at their most basic needs, right? Financial needs to buy food, clothing. You're not going to fix it by punishing them and locking them up and putting them in probation. You have to provide them with access to resource. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to show the criminal justice system that there's a better way of treating people when they're charged with a crime. And so to answer your question, I think it's about how you respond. Because I can go home now and do whatever I want to do. Watch TV, go shopping. But I don't want to do that because I care about other people. And so the way... The way I would answer your question is that the way we respond to our success or our failures, it goes the same for failure, right? You fall, yep. 
you got to get back yeah, up. You get back up, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those repetitions help you get up faster and stronger. Yeah. If you see it that way, if you see it as a burden that you have to keep trying to get up after you fall instead of like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000-hour theory, right? How many times do you think someone falls to get to 10,000 hours worth of repetitions? Mm-hmm. I imagine a lot. You just got to be willing to keep getting back up. Yeah. You know, the statements you made and, and how you put things into perspective, David, um, <laughs> makes me want to ask you now, how would you define success? I mean, for a, lot of, for a lot of us, success means different things, right? What I consider success may not be what someone else uh, considers success. For some, it's material things. For some, it's, it's, it's purpose. For me, it's truly knowing what you call to do in life and doing it and doing it right that's right so if i were to ask you uh, for you what is what does success mean to you how would you define success for, for you it's my favorite question and i think it's going to sound sappy when i answer it every single time i answer it i try to come up with a better way of saying it but fred my definition of success is the relationships that i get to partake in in this journey mm. Mm. and nothing is better than a memory with someone when you did something important either for that person or for a group of people or a community um nothing will ever be as memorable as an experience with another person uh, for a laugh that you had together or for something that you created as a unit um whether it's friendships or romances or partnerships that's to me success is the relationships that i am fortunate enough to be a part of in this life because those relationships are what make life worth living and so I love relationships. True words have never been spoken. I was at a funeral, um, David, over this this uh, over the weekend, and funerals are. I, I don't look forward to them. For me, it's always a sad, uh, a sad experience for me when I go to funerals. But I was at this funeral for um, a friend of mine's son who was um, thirty nine when he was found unresponsive mm-hmm. um, in the bathroom. Uh, he wasn't sick, nothing. He just he just died. And as I, you know, he lay in the casket and I heard people come in and just to share um, about, about this young man, just one story after the other, David, all had to do with how much of an impact he had on them, you know, how, how much he brought laughter, how he inspired people, how he encouraged people, how he just made people just, just, just happy, right? They just loved to be around them. And one thing they, they said, which... I think uh, corroborates a lot what you said was nothing about he didn't really care for material things. Not, not, not that it's bad, right? I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But everything that was said, which was a highlight of, of his experience in this, in this short, in this short um, uh, number of years he had relatively in life, was, was the impact that he made. And you talk about memories and relationship. And this is, this is something that I've heard. Um, even my wife shares that a lot that, you know, what makes a difference is, is the relationships, right? Uh, and the memories you, you live behind. And, and, and I think it's a very powerful thing, David, when, when you hear someone say that it, it, it's, it ought to put things into perspective for you. Um, uh, and could, could you share a little bit about that? Well, the reason I think that that's the case is because in my, I'm 42 years old and if, if you live your life in five year blocks, which I do with goals, um, those five-year blocks will include, and this is for me personally, people that stand out to you, right? Um, the relationships I built with my parents as a young man, and despite how much we struggled, how much we stuck together, and how close we are now because of that. 
then as a teenager who impacted my life that motivated me in a positive way. There's a girl in the book that I dedicated an entire chapter to who wanted to become a police officer while we're, you know, her and I are communicating and I'm here over there breaking the law, doing these kind of things. She stands out because of the positive source of energy she was for me. Then you get into your college years and there's always that one professor, you know, and I remember this lady used to call me a whippersnapper because I was the first one in class, the last one to leave. And it just motivated me. And I shared so many lunches with her and so many conversations. And she just formed aspects of my life that I'll never forget. And then, you know, you think about law school and the people that invested into me and that were like, you know what? You're not a criminal defendant. You're a person with potential. And so let me introduce you to this person that might mentor you. Or that, the mentors that you've had in your life. You know, and these are just people that helped you on your ascension. And what about the people that you spend time with just because you enjoy their conversations? You know, and that's why I think that if you ask me what's the definition of success, I'm going to tell you that it's relationships. And you should pick and choose your relationships. Be smart about the people that you align yourself with. Be intelligent about the people that you look to for guidance or for leadership. Um, they can form certain psychological aspects of your of you that make you behave in certain kind of ways. Absolutely, you know. And so that's why, to me, relationships. I, I I have about four or five close friends, and I have such a I treasure them because of the experiences we had, you know, in our climb. Yeah. So and and even now, I look forward to the relationships. Like I don't know where this relationship will go. The way that we just started communicating, and I, one of my favorite things about you is the way that you present. The, uh, the, the display of gratitude you have for doing what you do and connecting with people. You get to be involved in relationship development on a daily basis. I bet you you have a strong contact list of people that you can call and have just you know, riveting conversation with. And, and that's got to be really cool. It is. And, and, I, and I treasure those. I, I treasure mm-hmm. those like you. I don't have a lot of, uh, my social circle is not that wide. Um, like you, I'm very careful who I let into my inner circle. But any opportunity to learn um, from anyone, um, you know, like yourself, like your stories, this is really what, what makes me do what I do. Um, so it's, yes, the relationships absolutely are, are very critical. And David, as we kind of wrap this up, because I know you're very busy here, um, if you were to, if you were to look back um, on your life, right? Any is there anything you would change at all? No. Wow. Not one thing. You know, it's always hard when I'm asked that, and I with a certain thought. You know, I think that people certain questions will take you back into memory lane, and if there's anything I can do to change my path is remove the pain I caused my mom and dad Mm, mm, as a young man. mm. That is one thing that I do have regret on, just their loss of sleep, the worries that they had when I wasn't home, all the things that you wish as a parent (laughs) your kids never do to you. You know, I I caused them some pain. But I'm sure they can look at you right now, wherever they may be, and be filled with with pride, right? I mean, it's... Oh, they don't even believe. Right. Yeah. You know, they watch me on a television show running from the marshals or the FBI. And they're like, how in the world did this even happen? Yeah. And, you know, 
my mom is just proud and my dad, my dad's the greatest guy. And so, you know, I think that we've moved on from that, yeah. but if I was to change one thing, I would definitely change the, the harm I caused them and pain. Yeah. Wow. End of it. As we end here, um, there's, there's someone watching you now or listening to you on this podcast and, um, may find themselves um, in, in, in the thick of things, right? It, it may not be a, a pleasant place in life and may not even be able to, to figure out how, they, the, how they're going to be able to get out of where they are um, into where they want to be. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you have those closing words and, and speak some, some, some life or, or share some inspiration, speak some encouragement into, into sure. them right now. So however you want to go, go for it. Well, whatever you're dealing with in life, I would say just don't quit and be kind to everybody in the process, including yourself. Um, a lot of people don't understand that looking in the mirror and smiling to yourself and saying that you deserve to be happy um, is an oversight. And the reality is, is that you deserve to be happy and you can start by the way that you treat other people and the way that you treat yourself. And so as long as you never quit on yourself and you're always kind to other people, you'll be surprised what this life will do for you. And there's so much out here. Um, to learn from, to experience, and to give back that um, I think it starts with kindness and being kind to yourself and being kind to others will take you a long way in this life. Wow. David, thank you so much for being you, for allowing your life uh, to, be, to, be, to be such a powerful story. And I like the title of your book, The American Dream History, but his story uh, in the making. Um, so for you out there who, 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 who's listening or watching, check out David's website. It's davidwindicher.com, his books there and what he does, his nonprofit information, everything is out there. Uh, but David, thank you for just availing yourself and for coming on the Time with Prep podcast. It's, it's, it's such a humbling experience just to hear you um, speak and, and, and how far God's brought you and what is, what is done in your life. So. I really appreciate you and the very best to you and um, what you're doing with your book and with all the upcoming projects and what you're doing in the lives of people. Uh, you, you're sowing back into people. You're not letting that stop you, but you're now pouring out into the lives of people. And I think really that's, that's the greatest thing anyone can do. Um, and that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you for your time, my friend, and the, the very best to you. Thank you so much, Fred. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you.